Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's up, everybody? Hey, hey. So for this month, we've decided to do a, a book club episode, and we thought we'd do a special one in honor of Black History Month. We decided we wanted to discuss a, a graphic novel or a comic that would be topically relevant. And as such, we decided to cover March. Drew, do you mind giving us a little bit of the credits behind March? We're reading the, the entire trilogy, the March trilogy, by John Lewis, Andrew Aiden, and Nate Powell. This is uh, essentially an autobiographical work about John Lewis's life, particularly growing up and in the 60s as a young man, part of the civil rights movement. It was published by Top Shelf Productions. Volume 1 was published back in 2013. Volume 2 came out in 2015. And Volume 3 was released in 2016. It's a relatively more recent work and very well regarded. Won plenty of accolades and earned much critical acclaim and few awards. Mm -hmm. Anything else we need to say about it? Um, I mean, I think we're going to go into it a little bit as we discuss you know what we know of the book as well as what the book is actually about i think those are probably the more most relevant things um outside of just the production of the book itself so you know we can we can jump into that if you're ready to sure so All right. march is about congressman john lewis who he was just a you know an iconic uh, American who was part of the, the big six in the civil rights movement. I mean, this entire series uh, of graphic novels, it's pretty enlightening because honestly, I, I personally didn't know that much about his life. He was famous, so I knew who he was and recognized his name, but I had never read any books specifically about him. So I felt that the March trilogy, pretty educational, pretty enlightening. I did a little bit of research into the production history of, of the book. You, you even get a little bit of it if you read some of the, the back matter in the books. But Andrew Aiden was the co-writer of the series. And uh, obviously Nate Powell was, was the artist. From what it sounds like, Andrew Aiden was one of uh, John Lewis's aides, or he worked in John Lewis's office when John Lewis was a representative, a congressman. Yeah. And I guess because of that uh, working relationship, they had gone, they had been able to to talk about other things. And turns out that uh, Andrew Aiden learned that John Lewis uh, was influenced in his youth by a comic book, and being a, a comic fan himself. Andrew Aiden persuaded John Lewis to make a comic about his life. So that, I thought that was a pretty in, interesting little factoid there because the the comic that influenced John Lewis was this 10 cent comic uh, that was published back in, I don't know, the 50s, I think. It's called Martin Luther King and the Montgomery Story. And oh. it was just, yeah, it was just this short comic published by the fellowship of reconciliation and it was just about the principles of nonviolence, uh hmm. and obviously martin luther king 
interesting thing about that, uh, it was that comic was written by someone named Alfred Hassler and Benton Resnick. Um, I, I'm not familiar with either of those, but the artist was someone named Seymour Barry or Cy Barry, and I, I don't really know his work too well, but uh, he he was a, I think he's still alive actually, but he he did a lot of art for comic strips, um, particularly the Phantom, uh, you know, the, the ghost who walks or was that what it was called? Was that his gimmick? Uh, I don't remember what his like. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, what his tagline was? Ghost but... who walks. That's yeah. That's the yeah. Phantom. So uh, you know, an old pulp hero. Um, anyway, that uh Martin Luther King comic somehow uh had an impact on a teenage John Lewis and uh went on to influence him in his uh, as he grew into adulthood. So. Yeah, uh, when Aiden worked for John Lewis, I guess somehow managed to convince him to collaborate and and make this comic. And from what I understand, I read an interview. Uh, I think the interview was done like shortly after Volume One came out, and I learned that from what what it sounds like was that they Andrew Aiden and John Lewis uh, talked a lot about the story and and like broke down uh exactly what they wanted in the in the book um if it sounded i got the impression uh that it was one of those situations where john lewis probably you know orated a bunch of information while yeah aiden took a bunch of notes um yeah. but you know, I'm sure, like, as he was writing down the script, he would show it to John Lewis for final approval and everything, make sure everything was made sense and, and was accurate. Uh, Nate Powell, who was, who was the artist of the series, he, he was a guy that, whose work I recognized before March. I mean, March, I think, really upped his profile and made him a bigger name than, than he already was, but... He was already uh, kind of an indie comics darling who had published yeah. a few things through, I, I believe, Top Shelf as well. Like Swallow Me Whole was a pretty big book, and Any Empire uh, was another one. I've actually never read Any Empire. I I feel like I might have read Swallow Me Whole a really long time ago from the library, but it was so long ago I I, I don't have any recollection. So I'm it might as well be one of those situations where I, I haven't I'm not. I can't say I'm super familiar with his other work. Yeah. I, I, I'm aware of his work and I, kn I can recognize his art, but I just haven't read his other stuff. Yeah. You have any anything you want to add, Albert? No, I mean, I think I think I I, I pretty much had a similar knowledge of uh, all of the figures to the same degree that you had. I Nate Powell is someone whose uh, work. I think I, I definitely recognized him from Swallow Me Whole uh, and Any Empire. I know I didn't read Any Empire. I know that for sure. Uh, Swallow Me Whole was something that I tried to read a while ago, but I think <clears throat> I think with just everything going on in my life, I just lost track of it, and I was never able to go back to it or finish it. Mm -hmm. But I will say that uh, one of the, the features of Nate Powell that definitely jumps out is his his art and his storytelling and yeah. like those are qualities 
that are almost instantly recognizable as uniquely him. So mm-hmm. I can look at those and even though, you know, his his own creator owned uh, writing uh, stuff that he wrote wasn't necessarily stuff that um, in terms of the writing, it wasn't stuff that I remember too well. I definitely remember his art. So uh, and when you read March, you see like flourishes of his uh, art style and his comic storytelling throughout the book. So that's definitely in there. Um, yeah, his his sensibilities are definitely in play here because in the interview that I was reading, it it was an interview with all three of them. Uh-huh. So they all kind of shared a little bit about the history of uh, making the comics and uh, a little bit about how it came about. And it turns out that uh, Lewis and Aiden had, you know, basically completed the writing of the script uh, for March and, and they were looking for an artist kind of you know just shopping for an artist and and uh i forget exactly how they came to the attention of top shelf but uh it was the editor-in-chief of top shelf chris staros who basically recommended nate powell try and audition for the job so he had nate powell do some sample pages and uh you know lewis and aiden probably saw not only his pages but a bunch of other artists as well and uh-huh. i guess he was the one who who jumped out you know and and uh they they asked them to make a couple modifications to something and you know they they figured out that oh they they vibe with each other and uh they can work together and that's how he came on board onto the project yeah and one of the interesting things i also read was originally this was uh it wasn't planned to be a trilogy of books it was gonna be just one big graphic novel but after nate powell came on board it turns out that with his storytelling sensibilities he he had a big influence on uh the execution you know obviously as an artist he wasn't just some robot who was gonna perfectly crank out everything that they had uh done uh that they had written you know like he he had input that that uh affected the final product so one of the things that he said he did was there were certain scenes throughout the book and you can especially see this in the first volume but he mentioned how some of the scenes he and essentially just decompressed them a bit like he he gave more space to different scenes allowed more pages to be used for scenes that otherwise could have been really packed into some really dense pages, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, it's, it's cool that you mentioned that. Uh, I, I feel that we're fortunate that we were able to get the three volumes because it would have been a drastically different piece of work if it had all just been one thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd even go so far as to say that uh, having finished reading it, 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 it does feel like the kind of work where, you know, if if we view history as just this living entity, uh, there was like so much story that went on even after everything that happened. You know that, like mm-hmm. in another universe, they would have been able to do so many more volumes after this. You know, like I I was personally interested in that story after the fact, uh, just wanting to know like everything that happened in the years after March. You know. 
Yeah. Well, did you know that there's a sequel called Run? Oh, is there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Just came out fairly recently. I, I'm not exactly Actually, sure. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I I do remember hearing something about it. Um, I mean, the the funny thing is, or not funny. The the I guess the sad thing is that when March was written, uh, John Lewis was able to. He he completed it before he died, and uh, mm-hmm. so I guess. I guess he worked on, or you know, he contributed to whatever they did for Run. But uh, I think there's a good chance that he finished Run also before he died. Okay. Uh, okay. Just because when you think about how long it takes to to actually make yeah, a comic, absolutely. you know, it it makes sense. And uh, the, like I I I haven't done any research about Run, but yeah. Uh, f- if I had to guess, I would guess <laughs> that. Andrew Aiden probably has a bunch of notes and exactly. probably tape recordings of their conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for all the storytelling that needs to be written down. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. I agree I, with that. I don't know if Run is meant to be a trilogy either. I'm not sure. I know that when it came out last year, uh, it said book one on the cover. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. you know, that implies that there's going to be at least multiple at least a second book if not more yeah but uh yeah i haven't read the sequel yet but apparently the sequel documents john lewis's life after the passage of the civil rights act yeah you know probably the story at least goes through another decade or so yeah. yeah i don't yeah i don't i'm not exactly sure yeah i have to read it well uh, i mean uh, you addressed that oh, my 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 initial want in the first couple of seconds. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, did you want to go into a little bit of detail? I mean, we, we talked about uh, a little bit of what we knew of John Lewis. We talked about a little bit of what we knew of Nate Powell. Um, did you have any sort of expectations going into this book? Uh, like any preconceptions, preconceived notions, just like, what were your first thoughts upon uh, seeing this when it came out? I knew that I always wanted to read it when it came out. It was kind of a big deal. Uh, volume one in 2013. Uh, I'd always, it, for many years, I was pretty interested in in the stuff that Top Shelf was publishing. So I always paid attention to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was definitely aware of it. It was just a matter of getting my hands on it and. I don't know if I consciously decided to wait for them to finish the entire thing before deciding to buy it for myself. Uh-huh. But uh, I guess it ended up working out okay, just because uh, after the three books were completed, they eventually released a slipcase, uh, yeah, a box yeah. set. And I ended up uh, finding that for a pretty good price, actually, at Green uh-huh. Apple Books in San Francisco. Yeah. So yeah, I got that was that awesome. a couple years ago, and uh, yeah, uh, I guess I was just waiting for an excuse to read it, and and us deciding to the fact that we decided to discuss it for the podcast was the perfect opportunity, great motivation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of this podcast is uh, giving our. I mean, we're gonna read comics regardless, but it, it does give us an excuse to put what we've read to good use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? exactly <laughs> um 
a little bit of uh, a back matter or or a backstory to to this though we outside of the podcast we actually discussed uh you know the fact that uh, black history month was coming up and we were trying to decide on what to read and i don't know uh, one of our other choices uh at the time you know just just at a from a cursory view it seemed like it could work but it it was really more of a work of fiction and it didn't really feel like it would i guess meet the weight of 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 something for black history month at least that was my personal feeling on it and then on, um, on what now oh uh, we we were going to choose another comic or we were discussing the potential to to read another comic called the day the clan came to town but you know it just didn't feel like it would be quite the fit that i that we were looking for for wait was that fictional i thought that was based on something that really Actually, happened you're right you're right now that you mention it i think that was based on something that well i don't know i'd, I'd have to go back and look at it but it's still i don't know for whatever reason it just didn't feel quite i i guess it didn't address the the topic of black history like what's the word directly mm-hmm. I, I don't know yeah it, it felt more like yeah it, it, at least the way that i i've I viewed it. it. It just didn't really address the the topic in in a way that really deconstructed it, you know. Um, yeah. And it just felt like March was probably more would be a better fit for what we were trying to discuss, what we were trying to do. Yeah, I, I guess uh, we were more in the mood for something serious and and based in reality, you know. Like, yeah, we we could have easily picked any comic that was created by black creators you yeah. know it could have we could have been reading like black panther by Todd yeah. Coates or far sector by nk jemison and yeah. uh jamal campbell yeah or w- whatever it, it the case may be you know but I, I guess we were just in the mood for something serious yeah yeah it's i i think instinctively we were both of the same mindset and I I I'll admit that I was pretty aware of March as a comic. I I had seen John Lewis do several interviews as he was trying to promote the book, and I don't know if I had to be perfectly honest. Deep down inside, there was there was a small part of me that wondered whether whether a lot of the uh a lot of the praise for the book was was all hype you know because it was john lewis and nobody wanted to say anything yeah exactly (laughs) right so i i was uh, well i guess there's no other way for me to put it except you know skeptical of the idea like i i walked into it thinking that there was a chance that this book wouldn't be as good as everyone said it was but i i will say having read it like I definitely see the artistic merit as well as the intellectual value of it after having read it. I like it was it was a very well done book. Yeah, yeah. And you you're a naturally skeptical guy and the more people tend to praise something, I think the more skeptical you become especially yeah. when it comes to the masses. And I'd have to say that the same the same applies yeah. to myself. Like the I more I was going to say that's 
I think that's true of both of us. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> definitely true of both of us. And and the more yeah. that the masses praise something, the the more likely I'm going to be apprehensive about it. But I think yeah, I feel like most of the praise though was, it, it felt it like was it was more from critics, you know, like I yeah. Like it wasn't like this is a book that appeals to to fanboys, you know. Like this is a book that that got recognition from sure from within the industry. Like it, it I think it won an Eisner Award, uh, yeah. but it also got awards that were outside of the industry, you know. Like uh, just in terms of yeah, of uh, it won the National Book Award, you know. Like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just flipping through the book, and uh, on the front page, there's a list of all the different awards that it got. Yeah. So you know things like the Street Literature Book Award Medal, uh, the Robert F. Kennedy Book Award, Special Recognition, yeah. Coretta Scott King Book Award. You know things, yeah. things that I've never, I'm not even familiar with because they're not, they're not comics awards, but yeah. Um, well, but you that's, know, it's, it's well regarded by exactly. I mean, that's the thing about read. it, right? Mm-hmm. Is is that it? Just got it received so much praise that I. I wondered it was one of those things where I it made me wonder whether it received the praise because of the serious subject matter of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it was a book that was trying to do something important that had uh that was trying to discuss, you know, an important part of history and you know, just with the times the the time period that we were living in being what it was, uh you know, it, it in my mind, it was a thing. It was a situation where the book was getting a lot of praise for more, for more aspirational values than um, than its actual merit, you know. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or that's at least what I was wondering. But having read it, like I said, I I can confidently say that this was something that was legitimately good and and like you said it wasn't something that was praised by like fanboys or anything you know yeah it wasn't the masses it was yeah. it was librarians or whoever it is that votes on these book awards you know yeah. critics and you know academics. i guess more yeah academics and more serious readers i guess yeah 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 and i i will say that having read it it's not like I, I think one could make the opposite argument also, where you you could also feel concerned that the book didn't necessarily earn its merit because you know a bunch of hoity-toity elitist liked it or whatever, right? <laughs> but no, I, I I I think I think that's a valid um, you know concern uh, to have, but quite quite frankly, like. Reading the book, it didn't feel like it was pretentious or trying overly hard to be uh, extra relevant or anything. It was, I thought it was a pretty straightforward telling of the story and it was engaging on its own merit, you know? Yeah. So, you know what's I, funny? I was, what's that? I was reading about Andrew Aiden and he talked about his history uh, as a comic book fan because he's a, he's a pretty big comic book fan. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. He's he's actually our age, or he's he's my age. We were both born the same year. Oh, nice! Uh, when I looked at his biography, and he said his first comic was, I think it was uh, Uncanny X Men three seventeen, which was 
an issue of the phalanx covenant <laughs> and like Ooh. so like if that's the kind of thing that was like you know formative for him you know that 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 thing set him that on a path to being interested in comics forever you know right right so it, it it makes sense that if he were to write a comic it wouldn't come off as a pretentious comic it would be pretty simple and easy to read yeah 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 well i mean if the phalanx covenant is the thing that directly if there, if we can draw a line between phalanx covenant and this exist and march existing then it was worth it to get the phalanx covenant <laughs> if just for that when you put it that way it's a bizarre connection to think that somehow the phalanx covenant is connected to the civil rights movement it reminds me of that episode of the office where michael scott goes to the convention and you know, he tries to impress all these people, but they're not impressed by him. But then Dwight goes up and he just like motivates the heck out of everybody. Oh, yeah. And he then Michael Scott gives, a, you know, he's he's talking to the interviewers and he's like, I might not have inspired these people, but I inspired the man that inspired them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So. So are you saying that March is the best thing that Scott Lobdell is ever indirectly responsible for absolutely <laughs> when you put it that way for sure <laughs> uh he can die tomorrow and i'd be happy <laughs> uh, you want to dive into the book albert uh yeah uh so, I mean, we. I feel like we basically gave the the short, spoilery description of it, which was, you know, it, it was just a biographical, autobiographical telling of uh, John Lewis's life and 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 instances within the civil rights movement, and uh, just retelling of different various anecdotes in history. Uh, so. I, I feel like we can just go right into it. It's not really the kind of book that, yeah. you know, deals with spoilers. Yeah, it's not. You know? It's it's historical Guess what, book. Drew? John Lewis did it. <laughs> it was John Lewis all along. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. I mean, anyone who's uh, picked up a textbook or watched a documentary or gone on Wikipedia, you know, you can find all this information out there. It's just but the comic presents everything in a really clear and interesting manner. Yeah. Basically it's, it's kind of like being educated, but Honor. you're, you're enjoying it, you know, like you're, yeah. you're getting all this information about what things were like back then uh, from, from the point of view of somebody who was not only there, but was a key figure in the entire movement. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh it's a first-hand recollection of of these pretty important moments in history. You know, things things we take for granted. And I will say, after having read the book, it it is something where, when I think about it, it it makes me realize just how little I knew about the civil rights movement. You know? Yeah. Same here. Same here, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I I'm I'm not afraid to admit my my ignorance uh on the subject. Yeah. I don't know. High school tends to make it incredibly reductive, which was it just feels like as often the case 
tends to be. It just feels like they tell you that, hey, guess what? Rosa Parks wouldn't get off the bus. She got arrested. Martin Luther King made a couple of speeches. And then, you know, Lyndon Johnson, because of political pressure of, and the death of John F. Kennedy, was able to pass the Civil Rights Act. Bam. You know, that's that's more or less the history that we got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Those are definitely the things that I think most kids, at least in our generation, I don't know if it's any different now, but yeah. definitely people around our age, those are the kind of things that stay with us because... You know, if 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 you're not going out of your way to really absorb and memorize and learn and remember this knowledge, then uh-huh. you kind of just the the stuff that sticks with you tends to be like the big beats. You know, like we generally know the arc of of that period of American history, but yeah, there are all these details that I was completely ignorant of. And I mean, even after reading this, there's there's still a lot of stuff that, um, you know, it my memory is not the best you know my retention is not the best so there are going to be some names and acronyms that i i've already forgotten even though i just read this earlier this week yeah so there's there's just a lot of history to to learn and and digest but the i think the big beats are the ones that that we remember and stick with us and and reading reading march i think because it's it's not really didactic it it really is the story of john lewis during his youth and his 20s yeah i think it's just his 20s right like i don't i I didn't do the math he's probably it probably ends around the time when he's like in his late 20s i think Mm, mm. um but you you really get to see how these events affected him and how he was involved in in shaping our country yeah yeah um yeah, I mean, well put. That's it's. I, I I had pretty much the same experience that you did. Um, I will say that one of the things that I really appreciated about March, uh, you know, and, and this is something that comes from the fact that it's a direct anecdote from John Lewis himself, is that it does add a lot of the extra nuance to everything that was going on at the time because Mm -hmm. for example um again just in terms of the stuff that we learned in high school it just felt like martin luther king just kind of made all this stuff happen but yeah you know a a lot of everything that was going on at the time uh the, the things that we don't realize is just how complicated the power dynamics was of everything and that And history classes just never made us consider that, hey, there were other people that were involved. There were people that didn't necessarily agree with him. Uh, You know, there was a struggle that was going on behind the scenes, you know, and and it was Mm -hmm. anecdotes like that that I appreciated. That's that's just the the kind of thing that sticks with me. And, you know, maybe it's because I'm a drama hound or something. I don't (laughs) I, I don't know why, but like. It, it it adds an extra sense it, it adds extra layers to history right because yeah again it, it from our perspective living in the future and looking back at this stuff it just feels like well everybody loved martin luther king everybody was behind martin luther king but it just wasn't so you know as as history was happening in that moment yeah uh 
you know, there were, you know, to them, history was being made. It was their present. So they had no idea that his influence was going to be what it was. They had no idea that he would become the face of this movement, right? Mm-hmm. So for us, especially for me, to read about all the various people that were involved, all the instances that were the spark behind it all, um, I thought that was valuable information. Um, I remember this other anecdote. I, I this I want to say I got this one from a history class, but um, like one example that I can think of is how when we were little kids people were constantly telling us about Rosa Parks and like, you know, how she was just this person that wouldn't, wouldn't get off the bus. Right. And that's kind of the extent of what we know about her, but, and my history might be wrong on this. So if I'm wrong, you know, feel free to DMS and correct me. But from what I understand of Rosa Parks, she was, uh, she was a, she was actually a, what's, what's the word? Like an activist, you know, Mm-hmm. So she was just one of a whole lot of people that were trying to um, draw attention to how unfair the seating policies on buses were. Mm-hmm. But she just happened to be the one narrative and one face that, like, you know, picked up attention f- for this particular injustice, you know? So. Yeah. The way that we were told, it always made it seem like she was just a lady that wouldn't get off the bus or that wouldn't give they, up her seat. They made you know? it sound like she was the only one who who did something like that, you know? Yeah, but they also made it sound like it was this completely organic thing that she just happened to, you know, she just happened to not want to give up her seat. But the real story was that they were actively, it, it was kind of like the bus boycotts and, and stuff like that. They were purposely putting themselves in positions to make conflict to draw attention to the fact that there was something unjust about this policy, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it wasn't just a matter of this one person just got on the bus one day and decided, Hey, I'm not going to do this thing. You know? Yeah. It's stuff like that, that we don't learn in school, but it's, I, I I think it's pretty important to know these things. Yeah, definitely. Just learning more more details about how things yeah. were like. I, I find that pretty valuable. It's and they treat it like it's I don't know, maybe maybe they want it to sound more organic and that's why they don't wanna, you know, draw attention to the fact that uh there was this concerted effort to make this thing happen. But I mean I personally think that that's uh, one, it's more honest, and it's two, it's more, I guess, just educational. It's just you know the kind kind of context that was more informative to us as people who are learning history, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, I feel like when when you learn about history, it's good to just know as much information as you can. Yeah, you know, I'd I'd rather have all the details that just have a a broad generalization especially if it's something that you know when we're zeroing in on a specific time period yeah those are there's a lot of things that that are interesting that for some for whatever reason i'll i'll 
I'll remember those little yeah. details, you know, like one of the things that even now just jumps out at me after uh, reading March that I didn't know before was how all of the nonviolent activists, they they basically did role plays and, and practiced how to, yeah, yeah. how to, you know, master that nonviolent mentality. Yeah. Um, and like one of the things that really jumped out at me because I hadn't I hadn't thought about that at all but they were saying when you're when your attacker is attacking you make eye contact maintain eye contact and and force them to humanize you yeah force them to to acknowledge you as a as a human um mm -hmm. like that's the kind of thing that would never occur to me you know like I, if someone was beating me like if I wasn't even if I was trying to be uh under self-control and and not hit back or anything i would probably yeah. just like cover myself up you know and and yeah check myself like that but to to like think about maintaining eye contact with your attacker yeah that that is something that I, i'd never really considered at all yeah and and i would i would just wanted to add to what you were saying earlier just briefly but you know i i personally would much rather learn like history as it is as opposed to a like you know glorified sanitized version of history for the sake of optics you know yeah 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 for sure yeah like thinking about all the stuff uh that you mentioned earlier like i i knew that a lot of the movement was inspired by the teachings of Gandhi and uh, the ideas behind nonviolence, uh, nonviolent resistance. Mm -hmm. And that was all the stuff that I think on the surface I was aware of. But yeah, like you said, I, I'd never been aware that they actually went out of their way to train for that, you know. And um, the entire story of how all that stuff breaks down is pretty fascinating to me, too. How even then they were all conflicted by by how far they could take the the idea of nonviolent resistance you know yeah yeah and i remember seeing scenes in this comic where they were telling people if if you don't think you can be nonviolent no matter yeah. what then don't even join us on these sit-ins or these yeah. marches you know like yeah cuz yeah people it's only natural that people have a limit as to how much they can take yeah it's uh it's pretty interesting stuff. I, I I took some classes on Gandhi when I was in college and like just the the ideas behind nonviolent resistance is uh I mean, you know, being an idealistic college student, it was all very uh inspiring. Uh but I you know, I don't know how realistic it can be when you take human nature into account. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um I remember some someone saying that everyone always points to you know how Gandhi won won back India through the use of nonviolent resistance you know mm -hmm. but my professor at the time was saying that in some ways Gandhi failed in that even after so okay I feel like it's way bigger than uh, you know we can discuss within like. And to a couple hours for podcast, but I'll I'll try anyways. But mm -hmm. um, like Gandhi's overall thought process was that the idea of nonviolence resistance was was more than just allowing yourself to take beatings in order to shame your 
uh, adversaries into feeling empathy and like turning to your side. But it's this idea that you're loving someone in spite of the fact that they hate you. And it's the power of that like love for another human being that is supposed to change their hearts. And mm -hmm. that's the thing that forces them to, you know, change the world essentially. Right. Yeah. And uh, I remember he was, uh, the professor was talking about it and he was saying, if you look at the history of India after, after uh, the British left, like what ended up happening to happening and how like, you know, India and Pakistan eventually had a split and how Gandhi was ultimately assassinated by people of his own nation. You know, he failed, you know, and, and failed might be a harsh way to put it, but he failed in the sense that he wasn't able to change the hearts and minds of these people. Human nature ultimately won out, which is pretty sucks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. To say there's the no, least. yeah. To say the least. Exactly. Yeah. But did uh, did you have any other highlights or any other moments that jumped out at you? Uh, like any other scenes that really resonated with you throughout the book, Drew? Yeah, there were a few. I think I'll start with just some stuff from the first book because I think the way that the series begins, it's done in a way that really welcomes you into John Lewis's life. Like, it, there's kind of like this framing story where you see John Lewis getting himself ready in January of 2009, uh, just in time, for, you know, the day of President Obama's inauguration. Mm. Uh, and it kind of goes back and forth between that day. Like, you, like throughout all three books, you, you kind of get a couple pages of him experiencing that day. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, as the framing story, it's it's kind of it kind of gives you the sense of like grounding or, uh, you know, to see how far uh, the nation has progressed. Mm -hmm, but like mm -hmm. you get uh, you go from those scenes in the set in 2009 to uh, the his historical scenes and just his life growing up, which I, I thought was a pretty great way to to begin his series this series um i mean obviously if it were a really comprehensive autobiography of course you would start with with his life as a as a youth and just you know move on forward to the rest of his life but i think because this book is specifically focused on the civil rights movement in in the 60s I still think it was a really smart idea to spend time with him in his youth to see how he grew up in in this really uh, rural area of Alabama with his parents and, and siblings on a farm, just the different chores that he would do, how he would take care of the chickens. And even as a kid, he dreamed of being a preacher and he would he would read his Bible and then preach sermons to his chickens, like stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. was pretty interesting and kind of portrays a, a picture of what life was like for a kid back in that time period. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so to see that and um, just how he was always interested in, in books and, and learning, um, and, and he had an uncle who really influenced him by taking him on, on a trip to a big city. Yeah, it was just kind of 
a really humanizing sequence you know like it it goes on for quite a bit until he gets to his college years and i I think seeing him grow up over a span of i don't know like 50 some odd pages or so it was just really effective in setting a foundation for his character and you could see the things that shaped him as a young man and what kind of things um ended up influencing the decisions that he would make as he got a little bit older Mm. Mm. i also think these are the scenes where you can kind of see nate powell's influence as a storyteller really come to the forefront just because it's just so expansive the way that he draws these rural areas where john lewis grew up it kind of reminds me of like an american jeff lemire or something you know just these oh. scenes of yeah just these scenes of like yeah isolation and and being in the country um yeah just something that kind of is evocative and i I don't know how else to put it but like uplifts like just what americana is is about right yeah yeah exactly exactly and and um like there's a scene uh where shows john lewis when he was uh i forget like in high school probably or just he was still in school and there'd be days when his dad would uh really need his help to work in on the fields so Mm -hmm. he his dad wouldn't want him to go to school on those days so he would so john lewis would basically hide somewhere um until the bus would come and then he would run to the bus stop and hop on the bus before his dad could do anything so just because he wanted to go to school yeah and i remember uh in that interview that i alluded to earlier that was a scene where nate powell mentioned uh in the original script it was pretty compact but he kind of expanded it and if you check it out it's it's actually like three or four pages uh, of a scene where you know the whole sequence of him hiding and then dashing to the bus and then coming home and and being scolded by his father But um, it's just hard to imagine if he had kept it the way it was originally scripted. Like if he had, if that sequence of like two or three pages had been dashed off in like one page or even half a page, it would have been a lot different, you know. But I, I oh, like, yeah, absolutely. I like the fact that he lets those moments breathe. It it just really yeah. adds a character to the whole thing. And yeah. and I think anytime anytime you read. Uh, an autobiography or even just a biography it really matters to basically get inside the the character of the subject you know generally speaking you, you want to be able to to understand and and uh, even empathize with with the subject mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean maybe it's different if you're reading a biography about serial killer or something (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) that was the furthest place that almost the furthest place that you could have taken it from from what we're reading (laughs) yeah 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 no i just i just realized as i was talking about empathizing with the subject it it, i had to make that qualification you know yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) fair enough fair enough yeah 
you know, generally speaking, when, when you're reading about somebody, I think it it helps to understand the person, you know? Like, I don't want to just read a book that's simply just the facts. Like yeah. That, that can be educational, but at the end of the day, uh, this is still telling a story, too, you know? Yeah. Like, if... It's a comic, it's, man. Yeah, it's, it's comics. It's got to be able to tell the story sequentially because Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's what our podcast is about is this is a a podcast that discusses comics and you can't discuss comics without recognizing and acknowledging uh a storyteller's ability not just to tell their story in narrative but visually right yeah 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 like i I like looking at a page and and thinking about why did the artist make these choices you know like there's a lot of reasoning behind it that sometimes is unspoken and yeah goes unstated and and honestly like most of the time when we read stuff i think we're we're just reading to be absorbed in the story but there are also times when i read stuff and i want to analyze what i'm reading you know like i want to yeah i want to think about the stuff i'm looking at and that yeah. that's a part of the enjoyment i get from from the medium yeah and even though reading a biography about John Lewis. I don't know if I would go out and say like this. I don't know if it's supposed to be like quote unquote entertaining, but this was yeah, again, I don't know if it's entertaining, but it it gripped me, you know, like I was completely absorbed within the narrative and mm. it it grabbed my attention. I never felt like any part of the story dragged or anything. It it was something that just got my attention and kept me reading all the way through. Right, right. I I feel like this is something that's been consistent in between this and maybe a few other episodes we've talked about in the, in the, in recent uh, history, in in recent weeks, but the way that you describe uh, the, the number of panels that Nate Powell puts into drawing a specific scene. um, I mean, we talked about this last week with blood on the tracks as well. And it, it feels like when the artist for a comic takes the extra time or it takes, draws extra panels to like really deliberately uh, slow down the scene. That's, that's the kind of moment that, Mm-hmm. calls for extra attention because it builds up the mood more for you in order to really get a sense of uh, the tone of whatever's going on in that particular scene, right? Yeah. Because, again, it he could have just shown a scene of him, you know, sneaking onto the bus in, in like, one or two panels and he could have written, and, and uh, they could have just written that in in the in the narration or the words, right? That yeah. oh, uh, every day I, or every you know day I had to sneak out and uh, sneak off to school to avoid getting punished by my dad because he wanted me to work, you know, on the family farm instead. But Nate Powell wanted to take that extra time to really develop this sense of tension and uh you know to give you a feeling of what it felt like 
for John Lewis to have to sneak away, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it it really just draws out that 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 sense of time. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. But yeah, I uh you know, th- it's it's the kind of thing it's the kind of quality that really reminds you of what makes comics special, you know? It's yeah. it's it's an extra layer cuz with a prose narrative it's it's all in the words and there's certainly a craft to that in and of itself that's to be appreciated. I I acknowledge that, you know, but um with comics you you do have that extra layer of what is going on in what what's going on visually in addition to what's being written. Right? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I was going to say that the lettering was another thing that stood out. And I believe that Nate Powell uh, lettered it himself because there isn't uh, credit for a letterer here. But I, I noticed that there are scenes or moments where when people are kind of whispering or saying something aside, the, the words will be in lowercase. And typically the the words appear it's an uppercase font and then there are some other scenes where like crowd scenes when a lot of people are talking and there's just kind of indistinct chatter he he kind of makes the lettering reflect that you know like it's it becomes a little indistinct and even becomes scribbles at times so it's a pretty simple effect uh but very very effective you know like it's just one again another one of those things where as i was reading it i started to notice it a little bit more and more uh, because he was doing it throughout all three books and yeah it 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 was just something that helped me immerse myself in the story Mm. a couple of other scenes that that stood out um I was going to say also the way that Nate Powell depicts the violence. It's he does it in a way that doesn't really hold back, but it's also not gratuitous, which I think is a it, that can be a tricky line to follow because this is something that you want as many people to read as possible. Right. So you don't yeah. want to be you don't want to be um, too intense because yeah. theoretically kids are going to be reading this too but you're also showing history and awful things happened throughout the course of history and like you were saying earlier it, it makes no sense to to teach a fake history you know you want to teach history as it really was right. so if people are getting beaten and, and bloodied or, and even killed um you know there's there's a way to depict that in a way in a there's a way to depict that without being um without glorifying it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like you really see you really see the the impact of of people getting beaten getting beaten. You see the impact of of the you know, just the violence and you see the aftermath and and the consequences, the the results of that violence and it's it's just a a really truly ugly thing. Yeah. No, I, I I totally agree. It's um it's a hard line to navigate and I don't think I don't think by not showing the violence in all its just 
visceral visceralness or like you know uh, just showing the raw violence of it all i don't think that that's a form of well i don't think that's sanitizing in a bad way in this instance because they're you're right when you're saying that yeah he's still showing it and you're you were right when you were saying that he didn't want to glorify it because this isn't meant to be cool right Mm-hmm. Uh, like the if anything, the impact of, viol- of the violence should be sobering. Um, one of the scenes that I remember is they were discussing uh, the death of Emmett Till, yeah. right? And that was a story that I'd heard a long time ago, and it was it's just a pretty awful story about a young boy who was you know dragged away in the middle of the night and tortured to death essentially. You know, they just did Mm -hmm. unspeakable things to him, to this young man. And and the thing is, um, I remember hearing that story when I was a kid and it was the sort of thing that where where the description of what happened to him really stuck with me. But the way that they draw it, like, you know, it's bad, but it's it's I mean, it's enough to give you a sense of how bad it was without, again, without glorifying it. Like, I don't, it's, it's not something that's meant to be glorified, right? It's not something that's meant to be, uh, it, it was a pretty important moment in, it was a pretty important moment to them because of, you know, this this was a young man that looked like someone in their community. It could have been anyone in their community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to have someone die in such a way and to have no justice for it, like, it's a big thing. And the idea of, of drawing it out in, in, you know, for the sake of quote-unquote realness, uh, I think that would just detract away from the point of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and time and time again we do see like you said like we do see moments where the violence is going on and you know as the reader we get that uh people are being hurt but uh it's it's not torture porn, you know? That that's not the point of it. Mm-hmm. Um uh one one other instance that, where that I remember uh, from from the comic was I forget the character's name, but it was about a speech that was given. I think it was during one of the democratic, one of the 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 democratic conventions, mm. and it was a woman telling a story about how she had registered to vote, and you know when they got home they 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 arrested her and like beat her like pretty brutally. Uh, well. The, the police that arrested her got other uh, uh, other black people who were arrested to beat them. They forced these black people to beat this woman severely. Yeah, was that Fannie Lou Hamer? I believe it was. I believe it was. And the thing about it is, uh, at the time when she gave this speech, it was a huge shock because... It, it it culminated with the revelation that not only did they beat this woman, that she was 
I, I mean, the way that I took it was that she was sexually assaulted by these police officers, yeah. you know? But again, like, they gave you, us, the reader, just enough information to know or to understand that that was what the implication was. And and in the comic, what happens is just as she was about to reveal that part of the story, um, and this, I think this is probably based on something that actually happened, but uh, the president, Lyndon Johnston, at the time cut in with a emergency news report so that it would draw attention away from that specific part of the story or like from it would basically cut her off from being able to continue the story yeah. and to make the, the 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 democrats look bad essentially you know yeah yeah i remember that yeah and and like she's another person in history that i don't feel like i learned anything about when i was in school you know yeah yeah but she's a pretty uh like for for anyone who who like studies the civil rights movement in detail like that she's a name that absolutely has to pop up um even if you just look at her wikipedia entry it's it's pretty detailed like there's a lot of information about her but i mean i don't i mean maybe it's possible that we did learn about her in school and and yeah. i just forgot but i feel I like feel like this comic was the first time that she had been brought to brought to my attention at all <laughs> Yeah, like I, I only learned about her probably like five or six years ago when I was listening to a, a rap album that mentioned her. And I was like, wait, who is that? And then I looked her up on Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. And and like that was really the first time that uh, I knew about her, you know, at least in any memorable kind of kind of way. Yeah, yeah. You know, actually reading March definitely made me look up a bunch of stuff on Wikipedia and, and even YouTube, just yeah. stuff that... I'd never heard before or 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 just never learned um you know I looked up some stuff like the the speech that Lyndon B Johnson gave uh mm -hmm. in the in book 3 of March there's there's an extended scene where he gives a speech and I looked that one up on on YouTube cuz cuz uh it was just something that I I guess I'd never heard before mm mm just yeah like different different figures um yeah because all, all these so many people have names in these comics that that uh there isn't necessarily a whole lot of attention given to to all of them but if you just google them you, you can find a lot of uh information about these different people you know even even uh some of the the you know the more racist characters you know just all these people in history that are like they're just forever gonna be known as lousy racist bastards you know yeah yeah <laughs> well but it's it's kind of I, I i don't know it's sort of messed up and tragic in that these people that should be infamous have have kind of gotten away with it because they're you know forgotten to us in uh in the current time right just because our our ability to learn history is so bad you know yeah yeah, yeah that, but that's a good point I, I think i think that's why 
people don't know their history and and that's why that's why we're like a, that's why people now are able to get away with certain things you yeah, know they're exactly. they're able to you're able to tell them certain half truths or myths mistruths and because they don't know the reality of it they're willing to pursue uh bad information down even worse rabbit holes you know and yeah it's i don't know it's um i feel like that's why there are still people who uh you know are proud of the confederate flag and things like that yeah exactly because it's uh heritage not hate (laughs) yeah yeah it makes no sense to me man (laughs) yeah well but that's i mean it's it's things like that where like because we don't know history now, we're able to like cherry pick certain details and we can tell ourselves that as long as it supports whatever argument we we specifically hold that that's all the that's all the history yeah. that we need, essentially, right? right? So one of the things that I'm constantly hearing is um you know, and, and I'm there's no way to not make this statement political, but like one of the things that people say is well, did you know that a lot of the, you know, that the Ku Klux Klan and a lot of, uh, that the Ku Klux Klan was made up of a lot of Democrats? Did you know that, you know, the Democrats were against Lincoln, blah, 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 and all that, right? But the thing that they don't realize is that there was a shift in the party as detailed by March, which was... Lyndon Johnson and John Kennedy basically made the choice to back civil rights legislation. And as a result, you know, the Democrats in the South switched parties to, you know, away from the Democrats. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's stuff like that where people can go out there and still say, well, you know, they, they were the party that formed the Ku Klux Klan. So they're still bad now. It's 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 a pretty lame argument, but my yeah. point being that it's just the sort of thing where someone can uh, just attach themselves to one very particular talking point in history and use that as a validation for everything that they believe. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to go back to what you were saying earlier, which was you know, how this book uh, is, was something that compelled you to, to do your own uh, homework and to look up a lot of things. And I do think in terms of historical works, that's the sign of uh, its success, right? Is it's the ability for it to inspire you to want to learn more and to, educate yourself right yeah like that history is it's not for everyone and sometimes it can be a little dry and i i think at its worst a lot of people just look at it and think that it's just remembering a bunch of dates and uh, names but you know there's there's definitely more of a storytelling aspect to it that we don't we don't think about too often you know Mm -hmm. 
and and I think good historical uh not fiction but uh good his works works there we go good historical works are able to inspire us to to engage us to want to know more you know yeah yeah definitely one of the figures that i looked up after reading march was sheriff jim clark he was the guy who was the sheriff of dallas county alabama yeah Uh, he sounded like a terrible person (laughs) yeah during bloody sunday um he was he was the guy who was basically in charge of leading the the local authorities and the police into beating uh and attacking assaulting uh, injuring uh the the marchers Mm -hmm. and yeah this guy was just a piece of work even if if you just do a simple uh search on his uh, wikipedia entry like this is a guy that even near the end of his life in 2006 he said that uh regarding his actions during the civil rights movement he said basically i'd do the same thing today if i had to do it all over again wait you said 2006 yeah Ugh. yeah that's uh that's gross yeah he was like in his uh early 80s at that point um yeah. and and he ha- he still had no regrets yeah he i wish he didn't live as long as he did <laughs> <laughs> There, there, there are a lot of things, uh, you know, not to not to move away from what you were saying, but there, there are a lot of moments in this book that just, they're pretty. It's it's infuriating. They're yeah, it's infuriating. Exactly right. There was the story about the 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 three uh, activists who who went down and, you know, suddenly their car disappears. They get arrested and the car disappears. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, then these three activists are nowhere to be found. Shortly after the 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 uh, John Lewis and some of his other uh, compatriots go down there to try to find these three people. And the cops just tell them, oh, we found the vehicle, but, you know, you can't look at it because, you know, yeah. they, they just try everything to tell. So they first tell them no crime has occurred. So they want to. So, you can, you know. So there's no going to be no investigation. And then on top of that, when they ask to view it, at, when, uh, you know, the activists want to view the car just to basically collect evidence and see what they can find of uh, their their fellow activists, that's when the cops, you know, uh, basically incite the fact that Hey, we can't give this to you because we're going to investigate it ourselves and we don't want you tampering with evidence, you know? Basically just coming up with excuse after excuse yeah. to try to get these people to leave the subject alone. Yeah. And eventually they find their the the three missing activists and they're just they're dead. They're just mm-hmm. out in the wilderness, you know, just three corpses out in the wilderness and it's just no one was ever brought to justice for that, you know? Well, wasn't what happened uh, that the police who were responsible for it did get caught, but they were tried and uh, found not guilty? Or was that a different incident I was thinking of? I think there were two incidents, because I, 
I don't know. I, I want to say with that one, I don't think they ever caught anyone. I, I could be oh, remembering okay. it wrong, too. But I do know that there was one incident, that a, a different incident that they were talking about where what you described did happen, where the the people that perpetrated that crime, they were arrested, and the jury of all-white people uh, let them go. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think the anecdote even said that there was one black person on the jury, but he was afraid because, you know. I think he, he was a witness or something. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, he was afraid for his life. But because like years later, people after the, in the fact. the community knew him. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. years later, after the fact, uh, you know, he admitted that what he saw and he was just afraid to speak the truth because of his life. His life would have been in danger. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man. It's like stuff like that makes it pretty clear that uh you know that's that's a clear example of systemic racism and the use of like power. there are people today that that just deny that it ever existed you know yeah yeah i mean there's still vestiges of all kinds of systemic racism that are still around i mean if you look at like just housing things mm-hmm. like redlining redlining yeah stuff like that like you know there are laws that are still in existence that are pretty obscure, but if you look at them, it's just like, what is this? Who is this written for? You know, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that, where you know, we we as people have just again, it was put in just as a means of having something to use against uh, uh, allowing you know, minorities to move into certain neighborhoods, but mm-hmm. because so much time has passed, it it feels like it's just been washed away by history, but they're still on the books in certain cases, you know? Yeah. 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 But yeah, this there's there's a lot of stuff like that that just when you read about that things like that that happened in this book, it's just I don't know. Yeah, it's all I can really say is it's infuriating, man. Yeah. Like it, yeah. It, it would be one thing if if it were fiction, but to know that that's all it's all based in reality, it's it just kind of makes your blood boil to to just see what people injustice. were doing back then. Yeah, yep. and and the injustice and uh it kind of it kind of even makes you think about what life is like today and yeah, uh, you know, especially like these past couple years when things have been getting even more heated, uh, more so than in in years past. It's like yeah. there's just a lot of civil unrest, and not necessarily for no reason. You know, like there, yeah, things are happening because you know there's a lot of activism going on because society. Has either not learned certain lessons or, you yeah. know, is, is trying to go back to a time, you know, before, I don't know. It's, it's like, it wasn't until it's the trying past to... few years that I realized how racist America still was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it might not necessarily be the loud kind of racist or racism that we're accustomed to thinking about when we think about like movies or anything 
you know, the mm-hmm. kind of racism where we could be like, oh, yeah, that's obviously racist. And, you know, like the Ku Klux Klan or something like that, right? Where we yeah. be like, they're obviously bad and we hate them for it. They're, they're clearly the villains of this story. But I, I think, as is a lot of the case, um, you know, there are certain ideas that don't die, that won't die. And all they, a lot of the times what they... A lot of the times what they end up doing is finding ways to either hide themselves or make it just that much harder for you, for anybody to really be able Mm -hmm. to point out the fact that their real intentions, whatever their real intentions are, right? Yeah. So it's, it's like, well, if it's... If it's, I, I don't know how, how else to phrase it, but like, if it's not in fashion to be racist anymore or overtly racist, then we'll just find a way to be subtly racist. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. <laughs> you know, as long as we can uh, come up with enough plausible deniability, then, you know, then there's no grounds for you or anyone really to be able to say anything to us about what we're doing as long as we can again come up with some other narrative that provides us with plausible deniability yeah exactly it's like that thing that that uh that uh what you call them like the 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 symbols that the alt-right tried to uh enact you know like with the, The the okay symbol or whatever yeah I mean, yeah, just things like in that. recent years, that whole thing has just taken on like an an entire other life of itself, right? Because it's like they've taken the idea of culture war and taken it to this next level, right? By it's like you said, by producing their own symbols, their own like music, like they're really. It, it almost feels like they decided, maybe not collectively, but maybe unconsciously collectively. They decided, well, if this is going to be who we are, then we have to fight this conflict on all the different realms where where culture exists, right? So that includes art, music, symbolism, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just all various aspects of just the day-to-day media. living. And and media, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 tough. Uh, it's the kind of thing that just goes to show you that people now more than ever need to read books like March. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um. And there's, you know, I I I I don't want to. I feel like I'm on a soapbox, but I'm no, I'm no. Get gonna... on your soapbox, man. This is yeah, this yeah. is your podcast, Albert. <laughs> this is our podcast, but it's uh, well, I do think it's this. I do think that that's what makes March even more relevant now. You know, it's March ends on a very positive note where John Lewis. The you you mentioned that there was a framing story earlier where. Mm-hmm. In the present, in John Lewis's present within the story, he is witnessing a moment that's so important to 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 Black Americans, which is 
the election of the first black president, right? And it is in the backdrop of that uh, historical moment that he's telling his own personal story, which is the foundation for everything that came before this particular moment, you know? Yeah. And if if that's where the story ended, it would be a very positive note to end on, which is, look how far we've progressed over the years, and we're only going to keep moving forward with with these changes, right? We're, yeah. we're never going to move backwards. But, you know, in recent years, we've seen that the potential to regress is absolutely uh, uh, possible. It's it's absolutely there, you know, and mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and that's what makes this book important. Uh, even even right now, uh, it's been pretty big in the news, but there's been this big push in certain states to ban certain books, and they've gone out of their way to list books that tell uh stories from minority perspectives and you know from uh you know various uh, uh writers mm-hmm. uh, and again from various walks of life from various uh viewpoints uh because it, it it's almost like being an ostrich like they want it's almost like they want to be an ostrich in the sense that they just want to avoid anything that might educate people about what racism is. Yeah. And and I'd even say it goes so far as they don't even want people to, to read stories, fiction stories, fictional stories about character, about uh, main characters who are ethnic minorities, because whoever, you know, is upset about those things just doesn't like the idea of stories that, they just don't want to acknowledge that other minorities exist. <laughs> yeah, they don't. They you don't know? want. Not only that, they don't. I'm. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that they don't want. Like the thing about fiction, and I think the power of stories in general is is uh-huh. that it it allows you it allows the reader to build empathy by yeah. reading yeah. stories about people that are different from them, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think when you go out of your way to to ban a story just because it's written by an African-American writer and stars a main character who's an Af- African-American. Yeah. There's just something wrong about that. You know, there's just yeah. like, obviously, um, it's limiting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I, th- I think about, uh, this comic that came out a couple years ago, new kid by Jerry craft. Are you familiar with that comic? No, I, I'm not. So it's, a uh, it's a young adult, not even a young adult. It's it's really like a a young re- younger reader's graphic novel, you know, like something like, like kids, kids. Who, kids who read Raina Telgemeier. This is yeah. like perfectly up their alley, but it it's a uh, it's about a black kid who goes to a new school and he's trying to fit in, you know, like something is totally innocuous. But I read somewhere that people were trying to ban that book, and not like the only reason I could think of as to why someone would want to ban that comic is because the main character is black. You know, yeah. Like I, yeah. I've read that comic. I have it, and and it just boggles my mind that there are people yeah. who are like somehow threatened by this that they don't want their kids to to read about a kid that is African American, and it's yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those things, man. Yeah, and 
I do think there's different layers to it. There's there's definitely an element of it where a lot of people tell themselves that they just want to see stories where they can picture, you know, themselves in in the role, right? Or whatever. And for them that means seeing someone who uh is traditionally just another, you know, straight white man, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times it's it's I don't know. I, I I if I had to guess, I'd say that part of it is there's an apprehension towards change, but then there's also this sense that if I have if I have to acknowledge that the landscape of fiction is changing, then I it almost feels like I have to acknowledge that I'm losing something. And the idea that I'm losing something is apparently terrifying to them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Like, how, and you know, like, how delicate is that, right? And and then for them <laughs> yeah. to go, like, the temerity for them to go, well, the rest of you guys are snowflakes because we're not letting you, you know, because you're complaining about how you don't get to be the lead character in a story or something, you know? Yeah. It's, it's the level of blinders that they have to put on to not see, to not be able to empathize with other people for having... Just for just wanting just basic levels of involvement in culture, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't. I I have no idea how to reach people like that. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. It's tough. I I don't have an answer. I ain't got an answer. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, like I said, so all these books are being banned now and. The thing that they're doing is uh, people and organizations uh, are going into schools and in some cases they're threatening librarians with uh, physical violence. In other cases, they're using the institutions that exist and the laws that exist to to ban certain books. And what they're doing is they're going through these books and it's like you said, a lot of them seem innocuous, and there are certainly some that are less uh, innocuous that contain pretty severe things, but they're important books nonetheless. And they're going right. through these books, and they're cherry-picking uh, specific items within them to point out either you know language or violence or sexual uh, gratuitous sex or you know what they view as gratuitous sex. And they're using it as a as the grounds to have these books banned or removed, you know? And yeah, like that whole thing with Mouse in Tennessee. Exactly. Uh, the the one of the reasons that Mouse was removed, and this is a, a story about it, it's it's based on the true story of someone's anecdote about Jews in the Holocaust, and you know. Just based on that story alone, it, it's the kind of story that should educate people about what the conditions were like, and it should foster a sense of empathy towards uh, these these human beings that were dehumanized and just put through an awful situation. But the grounds that they're 
using to remove this book, one of the the grounds that they're using was uh, the book has naked people in it, nudity. And because it has nudity, we don't want to expose our kids to nudity. And it's such a, again, it's it's just such a, a, a bad faith argument because if you told them, well, you know, this is something that historically happened to these people in these camps, they were stripped of their dignity and their humanity, and they were put in this situation where uh, they were, you know, stripped of their clothes. That was an actual thing that happened. If you made that argument that this is all meant to teach people, like, why this was bad, they the argument is essentially that, well, I don't see it that way. All I see is naked people, and I don't <laughs> want my kids exposed to that. Yeah. It's yeah, such that, a load of crap. That's a, that's a total load of crap. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it really makes no sense, man. Like there's just, it, it's the kind of thing where it just feels like the only thing you can do is slap those people, you know, like you can't really, <laughs> you can't really reason with someone like that. Can you? Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's, yeah, just mind-boggling, frustrating, upsetting, annoying, all those things. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It's, yeah, it it just feels like if it had been, you know, just a few years earlier, we could have at least been in a place where we would have been, we could have told ourselves that, history is moving in in a certain direction and you know there's 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 positivity on the horizon but recent years have just been a reminder that progress can very much be pushed back and a regression is a thing and um and 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 I think that's exactly why march a book like march is important you know it's Mm-hmm. it's a book that educates you and gives you all the details about important, these important historical moments uh, that pushed society forward. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, if, if they told me out there somewhere that this was on one of the books that was banned, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be ashamed, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> I I'm pretty sure that there are some places that do want to ban March or have banned March. Uh, I I mean I I don't know I I can't say for certain or give you a specific example. But uh, if you for our listeners, if you look up thenib.com and do a search for Nate Powell, it's this he he wrote a he he wrote and drew a little cartoon uh, recently actually. It was just at the beginning of of this month where he, he, he wrote a short cartoon, just, uh, what is this? Like 10 panels, but it, uh-huh. it's about his experience with March and, and how, uh, just the, I guess the, the challenges of getting March into people's hands, because as he writes it, I'm just going to describe this cartoon to you, but yeah, again, for our listeners, just look up the nib Nate Powell and the comic is called uh, Shelf It. 
but uh, it's a it's a little anecdote about how when he was working on March a decade ago, his his thinking was that it would be pretty uh, uncontroversial, you know, like there wouldn't be yeah. any real reason for anyone to uh, to uh, hate this book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then in now, keep in mind, March Volume One was. Re- released in august of 2013 Mm -hmm. and in his little autobiographical comic strip he he writes that his assumption changed in 2014 when a middle school librarian just this older uh, lady was shopping for books at his local shop she refused to consider stocking march and when she was talking to the store owner her excuse was, and I quote, you don't understand. If I get this book, I will get enough parental complaints that I may be fired, mm. you know? And yeah. he makes an important note here to point out that no one was actually censoring her. It was just her f- real yeah. fear of the personal consequences, Yeah, you know, yeah. to just because of the location uh, where she lived, she knew that people would be upset and she could lose her job if she tried to promote this book that was yeah. about the civil rights movement and John Lewis's life. Yeah. And because March was still in production at the time, Nate Powell had a meeting with John Lewis and Andrew Aiden. Um, and, you know, and they just talked about the, the risks of publishing the series and, and what they could do. And, um, he, he really made it a point to try and make sure that because this is a, a history book and, you know, he how can he make it stay in a history class, essentially, you know? Yeah. And obviously with the natural uh, academic bias against comics, or I don't even know if it's an academic bias, but just there are people out there who just look down on comics as a medium. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, as as easy or as difficult as it may be to ban a prose novel, it's definitely going to be easier to ban a comic book. And, you know, that's that's just how it is. So, yeah. um, you know, suffice it to say that if you if you read his little uh, strip from earlier this month, you can you can definitely see that. There is a challenge in in getting a book like March into people's hands because as long as we live in a society where there are people who have enough of a voice to speak out against it and use their influence to intimidate a school librarian into not mm-hmm. buying it, you know, those are just obstacles, man. And um, you don't want we don't want uh the memory or the record of, of these historical events to be swept aside, uh, censored or, or banned. We want them to be available so that everybody can read it. Exactly. You know, it's something that, that should, should be embraced. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, and it, it can expand your mind or it can, can challenge you, you know, like, yeah, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, like there are certain books that that uh, should be challenging, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't mean that 
it's uh, brainwashing you or or uh, propaganda, but it'll make you think, you know? And yeah. I think people, we just, I don't know, man. It's like all these uh, people that want to censor and, and ban books, they're, they're just afraid to think. They, they want, they don't want their kids to think. They don't want to change their minds. Yeah, they don't exactly. want anything. That's essentially what it is. They, they believe what they believe and there's a certainty in that belief and they don't really want to change their minds nor yeah. do they want to be introduced to information that will that may change their minds you know which which really doesn't make any sense to me because i think that if you are willing to challenge your beliefs or or read things that challenge your beliefs if you truly believe what you believe then shouldn't exactly. the challenge make your belief even stronger exactly like if your belief system is incapable of standing up to new information then those are some pretty flimsy beliefs to begin with yeah yeah exactly you know? really flimsy yeah and you know and to go back to what you were saying earlier like it's even worse now because in that article or in that strip that Nate Powell drew that woman was just afraid of her job but people now yeah. they're actively harassing librarians and threatening their lives you know so it's mm-hmm. it's not even about your livelihood anymore it's about your their existence Personal in society safety. yeah yeah so it's just it's just gross man like how do you how do you like infiltrate that kind of an environment you know yeah i ain't got an answer man yeah so Well, that was downbeat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't have the words for it. And and you know, moving forward, it's 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 a it's a tough look, you know? Like yeah. it, where I standing where I am right now in 2022 and and looking towards the future, um it, it's not anything that gives me any sense of security moving forward you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i mean maybe i'll bring it back to the book that we've been talking about i'll bring it back to march right because one of the one of the purposes that i think they set out to do uh with march or set out to accomplish is to show that young people can change the world if they're just willing to do what they believe is right. You know, if if you have the strength of conviction to act on what you believe in, then you can make a difference. And and that's that's one of the big messages of the series and I'm pretty sure it's it's uh you know implicit within the text but also uh John Lewis I believe explicitly even mentions it uh in an interview or maybe even it might even I can't remember if it was in the interview I read or if it was actually just uh in the back matter or something but I believe he did say that one of his 
uh, aspirations for March was so that it could impact a next generation of of people to to take action, you know, to to motivate people and help them realize that if if they see injustice, then they can still do something about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. I think that's the failing or the misunderstanding that a lot of people have about history, which is, I think for the longest time, a lot of people felt as though history was one, it just moved in one direction, right? Which was, uh, which was this idea that progress only moves forward. And, mm-hmm. and what they fail to understand is, uh, yeah, again, that that regression is a real thing. It's absolutely possible for societies and uh, for thinkings to uh, uh, for the way that people think to regress. And and as tiresome as it sounds, the reality is that every day that you live and every day that you live your principles is a day that you're basically fighting for the soul of a society, right? Yeah, it's, it's just it's just that it's this continuous process. It's not this abstract concept that has already happened. And that just means that you can just live your life and that's it. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it sort of reminds me of that. Well, I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to try to quote it, but uh, you paraphrase so I, it. I'm, I don't want to really go into that, but suffice it to say, uh, yeah, it, it just. I think people just need to have this constant reminder that, you know, what we do every day, that's, it's important to live your principles on a daily basis. And, you know, as, as much as you want to be able to just put your, your creature comforts and your lifestyle on the forefront and just kind of, you know, live on auto autopilot or, or something history i guess is just being made regularly Mm -hmm. yeah you have any other thoughts on march that you want to speak about before we uh, move on not nothing really too substantial i guess i'll just real briefly i just wanted to go back to i know i mentioned earlier that the the subject matter is interesting enough where i would where i i know i said i i would love to see like a sequel, and I know you mentioned Run, but it'd be interesting to see, like, if this was a comic series that could have gone on almost, not not indefinitely, but for substantially more volumes, even, even after something like Run, right, where, like, I would be pretty fascinated to see a comic that was about everything that happened in the civil rights movement and then everything after that, you know, like up until today, just how did we get to where we are now? You know, that, that'd be pretty interesting to me. Yeah. But but that'd be a pretty tremendous undertaking. There are probably nonfiction books, prose books that try to, that are ambitious enough to try and, 
cover a lot of that territory, but I I don't nothing like that comes to my mind immediately that I know about. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure there are quite a few. I, actually, now that you mention it, uh, I think uh, I think Tanahasi Coates wrote some essays on it called uh, Eight Years in Power or something like that. Yeah, we were eight years in power. Yeah, uh, where I mean, I don't think that quite details everything, but it, it definitely explores some of his ideas on on recent history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. I haven't read that collection of essays, but uh, I've read a bunch of or at least a few of his essays in the Atlantic. And, and he's definitely someone that I think will expand your mind. Cause like a lot of the stuff that he wrote about was like, yeah, you know, I, I would have to say that he, I was ignorant and, and he helped me learn things that I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like specifically things like redlining and, how the housing market was in places like Chicago and, and how racism affected people there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that, that don't really get taught in public high school yeah. history class, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say if anyone is interested in reading more about the subject, yeah. Ta-Nehisi Coates essays are probably a good place to start. You can, yeah, I think the one that that really impacted me was called. Uh, I, it was, okay. Oh yeah, it was called the case for reparations. That's what it was. Yeah, I, yeah, that, I that's 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 a good essay too. that I would I would recommend. Yeah, I, I I did have one one more thing I guess, and and I guess it's another soapboxy sort of situ- situation. But I do I I'm just thinking back to to something that happened a few years ago. Um, I was talking with a friend and I mean, okay, I'll just tell the story, but I was talking with a friend about, uh, um, of all things, we were talking about Kwanzaa, you know, and I, -hmm. I, I didn't really know much about it, but it wasn't, you know, as far as I was concerned, it was in my mind, it was, you know, if, if, if there was a peoples who wanted to make a cultural movement based on something like that, I, I had no real like issues with it, personal issues. And um, I remember talking to a friend of mine and, uh, and, and he might've had some information that I didn't, but uh, essentially his, his argument in response to the idea of Kwanzaa was that uh, it was a holiday that was meant to um, foster uh, white guilt was what he said. And, hmm. you know, he said it, he, he definitely said it in a bad way. Right. And, and <laughs> he, you know, he, he meant it in a bad way. And, okay. Okay. I, I and, guess uh, we should be grateful or he should be grateful. You're keeping him anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the time I didn't say anything uh, cause I wasn't quick witted enough to really respond to a statement like that. But, but thinking about it now, um, one, it feels like this is my chance to like say something about it now. But two, I do think it's relevant to the to the idea of history, and I I do think that a lot of the times history is kind of ugly, 
and history is uh, is definitely painful, and people don't want to acknowledge the bad feelings that history makes us feel. And you know, and and I do think that it's in large part, or not large part. I do think it's in part one of the reasons why they want to ban these a lot of these books. It's it's not just that they don't want to change their minds on on what they believe that they know. I, I do think there's an element of it where it, it's kind of painful to acknowledge that you have anything to do with such an ugly part of history, right? And, and you know, to, to that, I go back to my to the main uh, point of the story, which was that, so when he said, you know, that it was something that Kwanzaa as a concept was something that was just meant to make people feel white guilt. Um, I wish I had been able to say at the time that I don't think guilt is a bad thing. I think if anything, our capacity to feel guilt is, is a good thing because it's an, it's indicative of a conscience. Exactly. And it's, it's our ability to learn from that guilt and to, to, feel shame about something bad that allows us to be better, you know? And, you know, the idea that we would ban these books because we don't want to know, because we don't want to feel bad, like, that that just feels wrong. Preposterous, man. It is preposterous. It's absolutely preposterous. And, you know, the, the attitude shouldn't be, well, I don't want to feel guilt and I don't want someone to have that capacity to shame me or to guilt me into into anything because that's the problem here. Like I I I don't I disagree with that notion. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that's that that was all I wanted to say. Do you think that uh that friend of yours will listen to our podcast. <laughs> uh, he he may. Okay. He may he might not. Okay. I I'm not gonna. I don't know. People change, so that that might have been something he said in misguided youth. So, but you know, I I I don't truly believe i have the ability to make anyone change their mind uh you know as much as i hope that that's the case uh but i do hope that with time uh he's he's uh developed a more empathy and he's he's you know gained a little bit of nuance and he might come around to seeing seeing some truth to that Mm -hmm. that's all i can hope for (laughs) yeah so do you have any other final thoughts or I guess the the last thing that uh, I had in my mind to to bring up and maybe it doesn't make as much sense to talk about it now since we've already like talked so much about things outside the the comic but earlier I forgot to mention just how the three books progress I mentioned the first book has all these really expansive scenes where you get to learn who john lewis was as a young man um and and then as you as he grows up into adulthood 
it really zeroes in and hones in on the activities that he was involved in uh, with with SNCC and the marches and the freedom rides and all yeah all the stuff uh, that he was doing. Uh, but as as his as time progresses, uh, by the time you get to the third book, I thought the third book was probably the one that was the densest of the three, where you're really getting a lot more uh text on the page that's yeah. just um and it and was it, by page count it was longer than the other two yeah by page count it's it's definitely thicker substantially thicker than the other two books mm-hmm. and there's there's more words per page and there are a lot of excerpts of speeches and i, I think that's the way that it was integrated was pretty well done because i think just speaking personally here i, I think if the first book had been super heavy on presenting speeches and, and things like that. It it uh I'm it might have been uh Your a little eyes bit would have glazed di- over a little bit. Uh I don't I wouldn't say that I wouldn't go that far, but it it's some it, it feels like a, a little bit too didactic and I, I think that might have made it a little bit more intimidating to to go through the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. But I think because he he did that more or they did that more at the end of the by the third book. Yeah. Um, I already invested. Super invested into the story, you know. Yeah. And uh, it it made those moments feel more impactful. Yeah, absolutely. I, like, I would totally agree. With yeah, you. like I was saying um, earlier, like it it actually did make me look up some videos on YouTube just to see those speeches, you know. Um, yeah. And I. If if that had been in the if they had done stuff like that earlier in the first book, I, I don't know if I would have been quite as motivated. But by the time I got to the third book, man, I was like, yeah, uh, I'm pretty interested in learning more about actual history and, and like seeing what's yeah. on what's on video record um, with all these different speeches. Yeah, I'd also add that. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but. One of the things that I liked about the third volume is I felt like in the third volume, they were also taking the time out to highlight, like throughout the rest of the the series, they did talk about all the various people, but Mm -hmm. in the third volume, it felt like they were taking specific pages to focus. Uh, Like you would get a splash page with just one particular character where he would give, you know, special attention and detail to this one particular person on this one page, you know? Yeah. So uh, littered throughout that last book, you were getting kind of the individual stories of these uh, important figures uh, in mm-hmm. in the movement, you know? Um, like I said, in the first two books, he still mentions them, but they're... They're part of the story and uh, everything that's going on. There's there there's really something about how in the last book that level of attention is just focused specifically on, on them, you know? Yeah. 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 But yeah, I I thought that was a nice little nod to again all all the all the people that aren't just the the big names that we recognize. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I did also want to point out that Nate Powell did a lot of research as he was drawing the series. You know, this is a a period piece, so a lot of the architecture and the the cars and the clothing is very appropriate for the time period. He used a lot of photo reference. I read in the interview that he mentioned uh, he basically had a bunch of photo reference, including all the mug shots of all the freedom riders and anytime that he was drawing people um even even like people in crowd scenes he would base them on people that he saw in photographs so everybody's you know based on a real person essentially like he tried to depict it as realistically as he could and he he draws in a way where he's not obviously using photo reference uh-huh. like he's not he's not tracing photos or anything like that he actually he's able to capture likenesses uh in a way that still gives his own signature on it you know because like there there are some artists if they're drawing a likeness you can tell that they just took some photos and they're just drawing that photo you know yeah but but with him he he actually knows how to draw like the skeletal structure of someone's face so that it looks like Martin Luther King or John Lewis when he was a young man, you know, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good, it's, yeah, it's a good talent. Yeah. Yeah. Nate Powell's, um, he was a good choice for the book, you know, like I, I definitely enjoy his art style. I'm glad that he was, the the person that they picked and not you know t-mac or something <laughs> <laughs> although i i will say that now that i'm saying it t-mac would have been that would be interesting to see <laughs> oh, that would have been a really buff martin luther king <laughs> uh, oh do you um do you have anything else or do you want to go into some books that we could recommend for people who enjoy March? Yeah, let's go into some recommendations, Albert. What you got? Um, the one book that I was thinking of was a book called Muhammad Ali. And this is written by Sybil Tito. I, I don't really know how to pronounce it. And the other person on the book is <laughs> amazing amazine uh, yeah i really gotta work on these pronunciations but uh yeah it's written by sybil tato delacroix and illustrated by amazing amazine that's spelled a-m-e-z-i-a-n-e so this is a comic book that's a biographical comic about Muhammad Ali and although a substantial portion of it is basically uh, a sports comic I will say that uh, Muhammad Ali is or his life story a substantial portion of it does take place during this same period of change in uh, American history so you do get a little bit of context from uh from Muhammad Ali's end about what race was uh 
you know what race was like in in this time period and uh and then on top of that just what his role was as this cultural titan uh you know in in this time period where where uh there was just this huge cultural awakening for uh the african american community you know mhm yeah so i i i i recommend this comic uh as as a good sports comic but i also yeah uh, some of the figures that um john lewis mentioned mentions in in uh march end up being here in in uh in the story of muhammad ali as well so mm-hmm. yeah that that's my recommendation what you got well uh we mentioned the sequel run although i haven't read it i'm pretty sure uh if you appreciated march you'd appreciate run I, that's something i'm gonna have to check out myself at some point yeah uh another book that came to mind <laughs> And and this is another one I actually personally haven't read yet, uh-huh. but uh-huh. I own a copy of it. But it's Students for a Democratic Society: A Graphic History, and it's written mostly by Harvey Pekar and art mostly by Gary Dum. Although there are also contributions from a variety of other writers and artists, uh, specifically writers who were actually involved in the movement. So the Students for a Democratic Society was. A group in the 60s, uh, so around the same time period as the civil rights movement, and uh, and this is a, a graphic history of that organization and just the activism that uh, these college students were involved in. Um, so, like my my history with this book is kind of funny because I I bought it because I found it super cheap at Green Apple, and I'm a Harvey Pekar fan, so I just picked it up out of principle. But it's a it's a very dense book, and every time I've tried to read it, I just kind of uh, got intimidated and backed off. It's very, it feels very much like a series of essays as opposed to a coherent narrative, at least the parts that I have read of it. And it's extremely dense. Um, I don't know. I keep telling myself one day I'll finish it from start to from start to end but uh i have a feeling that if you're just interested in learning about an activist group uh this is probably a very educational and enlightening book although there's a chance it could be rather dry um but uh in terms of the comic that i have read that i would recommend i would also recommend a book called they called us enemy uh, this is a graphic novel uh, autobiography by George Takei, you know, the guy who was Hikaru Sulu in the original Star Trek. Uh, so it, it's it's him uh, and co-written with, um, I think, Justin Isinger and Stephen Scott. And the artist is Harmony Becker. Really well drawn uh i read this a couple years ago when it came out and it's a story about george takei and 
his family's experience uh, during the internment camps in World War II. Um, so it's, you know, a different time period, a, a different uh, situ- situation and set of circumstances. But I think what it has in common in terms of the of DNA with March is that it's it's a, an autobiographical piece that is important. You know, it's something that covers uh, an era of American history that I think some people would probably not really think about too much or talk about too much, but it's uh, educational and informative, but also gives you a chance to empathize with another person uh, Mm. whose set of circumstances may be different from your own. So yeah, that that's uh, my recommendation. Good choices, good choices. Um, I guess the one other thing that I'd mention, if you're a fan of Nate Powell, is we did mention that he's got two books. He got and um, like like you were saying about the SDS, uh, it's a bit of a cheat for me because I haven't read them. Uh, but again, uh, if you're a fan of Nate Powell, you can also check out Swallow Me Whole. And uh, what was that other one called? Any Empire. I Any think Empire. He, he has another one that's called The Silence of Our Friends. I don't know anything about that one. Yeah. I, I didn't even know that one existed, so that's new to me. But again, if you're a fan of Nate Powell and his art and his work, and you just want to follow his career, you can definitely check check that out well it's another good episode with you and uh i hope everybody enjoyed it you know if you have anything to say please uh hit us up on instagram at between the gutters or you can uh tweet at us at between the gutters podcast uh or you know email us at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com and uh you know let us know what your thoughts are let us know if you have any questions or if you have any of your own recommendations we'd love to hear from you we'd love to you know uh engage with you guys so thanks for listening and uh hope you enjoyed it peace out everybody